Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. I'm your host, Eric McCroskey, and today I'm very excited to have with me for great conversation, Donald James. He's the author of a book, uh, Manners Will Take You Where Brains and Money Won't. Uh, He's incredibly passionate about careers for students, uh, and throughout his 35 years' worth of experience at NASA, has seen how much NASA can inspire people around the world. Uh, But here we're going to talk about some really interesting insights from his career uh, at NASA. Um, And uh, Donald, welcome to the show, first of all, and I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about you and your career with NASA, and and most importantly, the thoughts that you've got around the importance of uh, uh, manners, linking it back to to the book you recently published. Thank you so much, Eric. I'm very excited to be on your program, and I really appreciate the opportunity. I enjoyed a wonderful career at NASA, 35 years, starting right out of graduate school. Interestingly Mm -hmm. enough, At the very beginning of my career, I didn't know that I want to stay with NASA. It wasn't until the 1986 Challenger tragedy that I found my calling in the agency. Mm. And it had to do with a personal experience I had uh, with the post-Challenger activities that NASA was doing. I was invited to, um, to participate in some of the educational activities that the backup uh, teacher to um, Krista McAuliffe, as you know, who perished on Challenger, uh, Barbara Morgan, mm-hmm. she was going around the country speaking to teachers and students. And I got to join her on that journey. And it was during that experience that I realized that NASA could inspire so many people. And it was at that time I said, I'm going to make a career at NASA and I'm going to do my part to inspire the next generation. So I've, I've had a wonderful career and um, delighted to talk to you about any and all of it. Excellent. Well, you touched on the Challenger. Uh, obviously, there was also the Columbia incident. How has it shaped your view of leaderships and, and blind spots? Because uh, your your book really talks about uh, the importance of, I would call it, rounded leadership. Um, but But tell me how those incidents shaped your view of leadership, particularly when it comes to safety. Yes. So, In my definition of manners, I take a very broad view of it. I first want to say that, yes, I think it's important to develop common courtesies, you know, the Mm -hmm. please and thank you stuff, things of that nature. But I view manners much more broadly and deeper than that. I view it as a way we show up in the world, our sense of awareness, how we um, engage people. And as a leader, I found that it was critically important, particularly when it came to safety matters, to pay attention, to pay attention very closely, because sometimes Mm -hmm. you can see problems that are right there in the plain view. I learned a lot of this from one of our former astronauts, Jim Weatherby, who showed charts that they were presented 
earlier after Challenger, and he showed how if you actually looked at certain parts of those charts, you can see red flags that some of the engineers were sharing, but didn't come out right and say it. So you have to develop right. a heightened sense of awareness about that. I think that's a phenomenal point and so, so critical when it comes to, to leadership, but most most importantly on the safety leadership side is is creating that, some people call it psychological safety, the environment where uh, people are comfortable speaking up, but also that you're aware of, uh, of some of those potential blind spots. I, it, one of the things that really impressed me when we, we talked initially was uh, a lot of your insights around how you can reduce those blind, blind spots, some very tangible ideas. You mentioned some, some FBI body language training. I'd love to hear some examples that you've got in terms of tactics that have worked with you in your career. Yeah, so I've learned to develop and cultivate um, a sense of awareness around, uh, for example, body language. We know from research that communication is not just verbal. It's also our body. And you mm-hmm. might be in a situation where you're talking to somebody about a particular issue, and you can tell by how they're carrying themselves the degree to which, for example, they're very concerned about an issue. And it could make a life or death a difference. I had a specific example where a colleague was sharing with me a concern about another colleague who actually had a drinking problem. And this particular colleague was in a situation where he was around students and also around uh, equipment, equipment that could be dangerous. And mm-hmm. I could tell by how she was carrying herself that she was really, really concerned about it. But in her speaking, she was being a little bit more measured, probably because she was, you know, dancing on some very sensitive things here. And so Mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing, that's just one specific example of really trying to pay attention to the whole range of, of communications that you get. For blind spots, I've learned to try to reward people who point out blind spots that I may have. It seems like a very simple thing, but you find that your people may not want to bring things to your attention because they feel that, you know, as the saying goes, they're going to, the messenger is going to be shot, so to speak. (laughs) In my experience, I try to reward them sometimes publicly by saying, sometimes by mentioning their names or not, you know, I really appreciated that so-and-so brought something to my attention that I didn't understand and appreciate and thank them. Then the staff knows that you value that and they're might likely to bring things to your attention that they might not otherwise do. I I think that's an incredibly important point. I wish more leaders did that because it's, uh, it's really about demonstrating setting the stage recognition is an incredibly powerful vehicle for that um, in terms of how, how you get people to to understand that it's safe to challenge to, to raise issues, to see opportunities or look at things differently. That's right. That's right. In NASA, we developed after Challenger a whole separate structure, uh, engineering and safety structure that ran parallel to the program management so that the issues of safety could be brought up a separate chain of command than the issues involved in the program management. And this allowed people to raise issues to a level where somebody can question or stop something that wasn't necessarily driven by concerns of budget and schedule. And you know, 
very well that budget and schedule is what often drives us to make <laughs> poor decisions or to operate with blind spots because what we're rewarded for is meeting a schedule or making budget. We're not necessarily rewarded for avoiding a mistake because it's awfully hard to know when you've actually done that. And yet when you do make a mistake and it's costly, then it can actually be deadly and people lose their lives and their jobs. Yeah, and I, I think it's a it's a point that's incredibly important. A lot of the it's still the early stages, but a lot of the investigation of what happened behind the seven thirty seven Max and and the recent episode speaks to to similar themes. It was about meeting a budget and a meeting, most importantly, a timeline, uh, because it was huge pressure to make sure they would beat Bo, uh, beat Airbus um, in launch of a specific upgrade to the aircraft. Um, and that's where certain things maybe didn't surface. That's uh, right. So and I'm particularly sensitive to that because my brother, who's also my collaborator, is a 737 uh -huh. captain. In fact, he's flown the 737 MAX. So when this came to light, of course, you know, I peppered him about questions, many of which either couldn't answer or didn't know or he got tired uh -huh. of answering. But for me, it brought home very deeply that a problem that could have been caused by who knows what and where could have ended up costing somebody that I love very dearly his life. Right. Fortunately, you know, there were only two catastrophic accidents, and now they're just in the process of retraining their pilots on the new systems on the MAX. And so I have faith that, you know, they'll, they'll get it right. Mm -hmm. But uh, these problems have deep roots, and it's important for leaders to have – you know, an imagination as to how problems can actually come about like this so that you don't end up right. doing that. But obviously a good place to start is looking at pressures on budget and schedule. And, um, you know, that, that was a lot of issues with NASA as well. And when we spoke before, you had a very inspiring quote that had shaped a lot of your thinking around this. And, and it had to do with uh, essentially when, when somebody says there's a problem, to what degree do I trust that problem um, and, and can you share maybe a little bit about that that quote and, and some of the thinking behind it? Well, I'm trying to remember the specific one. Um, maybe you can help me out here because I don't want to I don't want to go off on a tangent, <laughs> Eric. But um, uh, I do know that um, you know there's there's times when if you're involved in an operation or a system, particularly a complex mm -hmm. system, an engineering system. And you're aware that there is a variable that's present that probably wasn't present before. So if you take the example of the Challenger, the variable right. that was present that really wasn't present before was the very cold temperatures on launch day. And so there was concern mm -hmm. about the impact on, on the system, particularly the O-rings that ultimately failed. And so what I... What I took away from that was that if you are aware that there is some type of variable in the mix and, and you're at a consequential decision, it's, it behooves you to kind of pay attention and ask, how do I know this is going to work just the same? So you think about mm -hmm. the 737 MAX, and I, I just want to be clear, I am not an expert on that right. aircraft, those systems, or the accident, or the... And neither am I. <laughs> but I, I, would, I would start with the idea that what's new is that they had developed some type of a safety system in the plane, and the way they approached the training of that, they felt that it was a simple software thing that, you know, it could, it could work just fine, and it didn't work fine. And I'm probably over-abusing my knowledge of, of what had actually happened. 
But I think the lesson for leaders is, and this can be applied in many circumstances, that if you uh, see that something is new in the dynamic, if you do things over and over again and you don't do something new, even if it's a software thing, you need to ask yourself, what is the possibility that this can have an unintended consequence? And then explore that a little bit and find the naysayers, find the people who are concerned to make sure that you got it right. Because I'm telling you, when you're a leader and issues come to your desk, they're usually not easy. That's the reason they're on your desk. You know, President Obama right. said this, you know, when you when I get a problem, it is a hard problem because if it was an easy <laughs> problem, it would have been solved below me. And that's just the price exactly. you pay as a leader. You have to be able to deal with complex and confusing information. And I think the quote just uh, that you shared had to do with somebody in Houston and um, the, the, the comment had to do that sometimes when somebody raises an issue uh, that it, it may not appear as strong. They may downplay the importance, the severity of it. And part of it is to read between the lines. That's right. And I might be. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm not remembering this specific example, but the point is is very well taken. It's important to triangulate the information you get. You know, um, and this is hard, for example, if you get an email and you're not sure if the email is telling you something that, you know, you're not reading, uh, you need to check it out with different different people. And I always did that, particularly with consequential decisions. I would ask different people uh, in the entire organization what they think about things to make sure that I wasn't missing something. And sometimes I did miss some things. Uh, so. Uh, body language is an example where, you know, you're in a staff meeting. Sometimes I've walked into a room for a staff meeting and I started on my agenda and I can tell in the meeting that something is wrong because people are being very quiet. They're all in their iPhones. We call it the iPhone prayer. You know, they're just like their heads are buried down there in the table and nobody's looking at anybody. And I can tell that something is not right. And what I learned as a leader is that if I don't stop right then and there to try to check out what the issue is, I'm probably going to end up with a problem down the road because people aren't paying attention or we're not going to be focused on what we need to do. In most cases, in my example, the consequences weren't, weren't dangerous. When we're talking about flying astronauts, blind spots mm -hmm. can be deadly. And I know a lot of astronauts, and I know when there was some close calls, and, and you, you can't afford to be wrong when you're in space because it is unforgiving. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you, in your book, you mentioned also you have you have a, a chapter that speaks to what you call a pink suit. Uh, I think it would be great if you shared a little bit more about what that yeah. idea is. Yeah, so um, pink suits is a metaphor. And I talk about, you know, wearing a pink suit and how there's a pretty good chance I'm not going to go to a store and, and buy a pink suit. Now, with all due respect to, you know, creative people out there that, wear all kinds of different colors. This is not, um, you know, this is not a criticism of, of that attire. It's meant to be a metaphor. And the point of the metaphor is to be willing to try on an idea or something, even if you don't want to, you feel uncomfortable, you feel strange, and you might be embarrassed. Sometimes trying it on gives you an insight that helps you. Let me give you an example that's not an ass sure. example. There's a story that's well documented that Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computer, got a great deal of insight into new fonts for Apple in the early days by taking a calligraphy class. 
He did it yes. as a fluke. He wasn't doing engineering, any of that kind of nature. But he went on to explain how he appreciated doing something different like that, gave him an appreciation for how he could apply those skills in a different environment. By the way, just a little fun aside about Steve Jobs that I like to share with the listeners. The reason Steve Jobs got interested in computers is his father took him on a tour at the NASA Ames Research Center where I used to work. And that's where he saw his first computer and that got him excited. So if you don't think you can inspire people by just taking them on a tour or showing them something, think again, you could end up creating the most valuable company in the world. (laughs) Wow, I, I didn't know that story. That's a that's a phenomenal story on the on the on the power of the NASA. Has. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so so you've you've shared a lot of ideas around increasing how people uh, on your teams get more comfortable speaking up. Do you have any other pearls of wisdom in that regard? Because uh, it's so so critical at NASA in in like we talked about the seven thirty seven Max scenario. Uh, but in all industries where hazards are present, there's constantly this theme of, I wish I had spoken up, uh, or leaders saying, I wish I'd listened. Yes. Um, it's, it's that, you know, NASA is a very technical organization, and we're, we're never going to hire you to be an astronaut because you mm-hmm. have good manners. Um, you have to know how to fly the spacecraft. But I can guarantee you, and I know this for a fact, that if you don't have good manners, you could be stuck on the ground. I know for a fact that there are astronauts who actually went all the way through selection, but somehow, mysteriously, were never selected to fly. And I used to think it was only because they weren't trained for the right mission or any number of cases. Now that I've been on the inside, I know there's one or two cases where the reason that they were not manifested for a flight is that they had uh, something lacking in their manner skills that the leaders of the organization that puts uh, the crew together decided it wasn't a good fit. I happen to know that there is one astronaut who did fly and um, he will never fly again because the crew did not like that person and how they interacted. And I, I want to be careful here because I'm not here to out anybody. It's the, the point <laughs> is that manners do matter, but you do have to right. know how to fly the plane, right? My brother says that you know he works as a 737 captain in a very technical field that's you know bounded by mm-hmm. the laws of physics, but manners set the tone for interactions with the most important 100%. resource, and that is his flight crew. And, right. uh, you know, NASA even did a lot of research on flight crew, crew interactions and provided to the mm-hmm. FAA some suggestions about how to change certain protocols. So it's not just the captain is the only one who says this is how we're going to do it. They're actually trained now to take in opinions from other people, even dissenting opinions right. when they're faced with certain challenges. And this is actually shown to save lives. So that's my argument is that. Uh, manners is a skill set that's very important to learn. It's a part of a range of skills that are important. Uh, it's just not good enough to be smart if you want to work in a place by NASA. And I would argue it's not good enough to be smart to work in a lot of other places. 
Um, you need to develop <laughs> these skills. And that's why I wrote this book, because I wanted to share this with students and early career professionals. And, and I hope there's something inside it that'll, uh, that'll help them take them, you know, where their brains and money won't. Yeah, I, I think these are very important points. I, I'm very familiar with the airline industry. That's where I started in the safety space. And uh, you're absolutely correct. The, the impact of crew resource management, how people can challenge each other, how they speak, the dynamics, so, so critical to saving lives. And we've seen time and time again where the dynamic was not well balanced, how it cost um in in several cases hundreds of people's lives uh, due to a fatal error. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and what are some of the the approaches you you've when we've talked before you really talked about the importance of those range of skills that are needed to be great leaders. Um, how does one start cultivating that that broader range of skills, not just the the technical skill set? Well, I suggest that one place to start is, and I have a whole chapter on this called Who is on Your Team? It's chapter 10. And that's uh, proactively cultivating a group of people around you that you invite them to really support you um, around manners and other aspects of you as an individual. And I make a couple of points about this. First of all, I don't mean team like a, a, a sports team where you get together at the mm -hmm. same time and you meet. What I'm talking about is uh, a set of people from different areas of your life. And I have a, a model in the chapter about the different sources that you can find team members. But the mm -hmm. key is what you ask them to do for you. The key is to ask them to please be sincere and honest about what you see, even if you think I don't want to hear it, which means that you right. have to be willing to risk your relationship with somebody because they may tell you things that you don't want to hear. I've had a personal example of this that I share in the book that in some circles, in many cases, probably could have gotten my boss fired from what he told me. And yet I realized after I was upset with what he said to me, I realized he was giving me some wisdom that to this day has helped me greatly. That's the kind of relationship that I talk about. So the sources right. of those relationships are you can be your family members. It could be your friends. It could be your professional networks. It could be professional experts. Um, it could even be your higher power. But it's important to cultivate those relationships and ask people to to mentor you, but not just to be your friend. You don't want your friend just to tell you, oh, Eric, you know, you're great. Don't worry about anything. You want them to tell you the truth as they see it or to affirm things they think you're doing right and to call out things where they think you're doing wrong. And then it's up to you to decide what you're going to change in order to do it. So that's one place you can start as a team. Uh, one other quick example in terms of interviewing, because most of us have to interview, I have a whole chapter on interviewing, and my hypothesis in that chapter is that you're always interviewing, so just be mindful of that. But I particularly talk about the importance of doing mock interviews 
and, and being videotaped because it's amazing that when you see yourself on a video, it look you look very different than what you think <laughs> you look like. It's sort of like someone showing you a picture of yourself and you're naked and you're like, oh my God, you just <laughs> shudder. Like, that's horrible. And yet you look at yourself every day when you get out of the shower, right? And you don't think anything right. of it. So it takes an external source to show you a, a version of you that you don't see to help you realize, right. hmm, maybe I better get in shape. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, 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 or even your body language yes. or how you show up in videos, yes. et cetera. Completely agree. I've done the exercise as much as I, I despise the, ex- the activity. I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a phenomenal, uh, if we're normally important tool. So I think these are very good ideas. Thank you. Thank you so much, Donald, for, for sharing this wisdom, putting it, putting it together in a book to help uh, young professionals orient themselves from a career, bringing a lot of your learnings uh, from your experience at NASA in terms of how to become a more well-rounded leader. And the book, uh, Manners Will Take You Where Brains and Money Won't. Yes, Wisdom from Mama and 35 Years at NASA. <laughs> That's the subject. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing about uh, your your experience and your thoughts around You're this. welcome, Eric. You. I appreciate it. It was great. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Fuel your future. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show with the Ops Guru, Eric McCroskey.